the most simply amazing week as we are as well and we have some simply amazing things to share with you before we get there before we get there let's introduce ourselves am i right should right i mean we're like what 10 11 episodes in you should know us by now if not i'm not offended it's okay nice to meet you how you doing you know nice to meet you thanks for coming around i mean listen if this is your first episode I want to get to know you. I want to know why this was your first episode of this podcast. That's what I want to know. Why you were like, curtain sexuality. Okay, now I want to listen. I want to know you now. Um, anyway, hi. <laughs> Everybody's a little horny in some way. In some way. Everybody's a little horny. Everybody's a little whatever. Um, oh my gosh, my mom listens to this podcast, guys. We got to be like, all right. Uh, hey, we, had, we talked about Satan before. Satan, shout out to you. That's true. No. That's true. Shout out to Satan. Shout out to everybody. Uh, yeah. So I'm Lisa, aka the OG Nocturne, aka Nocturne. You can find me anywhere online. We also have my absolutely fabulous, wonderful, phenomenal co-host, the fabulous, the wonderful, the gorgeous, the phenomenal. You're gonna turn me into a butterball. It's not even Thanksgiving yet. Um, oh, I, got- no. <laughs> I don't plan to buy a turkey. I plan to fry you. So that's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least I'm getting fried by somebody. Um. Hi guys, I'm Lauren. Um, as I'm called on the Twitter, your friendly neighborhood by. Um, I am particular excited about this episode because while I am also a horny, crazy person, I also am very interested in talking uh, uh, more specifics and academically or whatever about um, our topic today. So really excited to have somebody else on with us too. Yes, yes. I, I was burying the lead a little bit there, but we do have a guest on this week, guys. It's our very first official guest on the Nightcrawler podcast, Simply Amazing. Who else could we have asked but Kurt Wagner's unofficial PR agent, <laughs> the wonderful, the great Dr. Anna Papard. Anna, thank you so much for joining us. I am honored to be the first guest. I will forever go down in history in this role. I'm sure it will be my proudest accomplishment. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> absolutely thank you for that i i'm gonna pretend i didn't hear any sarcasm in that because you're there so was none. right it is going there to was be. none no sarcasm <laughs> no of course not no listen we're just we're three ladies who love nightcrawler and we're going to talk about it so um i just want to for those of you who are unfamiliar and if listen if you love nightcrawler as much as us and you've stuck around for this many episodes you should really know who dr Anna part is i mean she's the co-host of of course uh oh gosh oh golly oh wow um the Accelerator podcast, but just give you a little deep dive into who she is. She is a PhD haver who writes and talks a lot about representations of gender and sexuality in pop culture for academic books and journals and places like Comics XF, Shelf Dust, at The Middle Spaces, and The Walrus. She's the editor of the award-winning anthology Super Sex, Sexuality, Fantasy, and the Superhero, and co-hosts the podcast Three Panel po- Contrast. And like I just mentioned, Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow, Gosh Golly Wow is a weekly issue-by-issue recap and analysis of the classic Excalibur issues, which is just one of uh, Anna's many duties in her important job, as I mentioned, as Kurt Wagner's unofficial PR manager. Girl, have you gotten a letter back yet? I mean, I know you've been writing. 
a friend did me a very kind joke letter that made me tear up a little bit and I think that's the best that I'm probably gonna do <laughs> oh was was the joke letter at least an acceptance or a rejection oh an acceptance an acceptance okay good okay good good, good. Okay. happy tears happy tears <laughs> okay good. so so what I'm hearing is that we should be your official like your official groundbreaking movement to get you to be Kurt's official <laughs> PR person. We we can promote this for you. We can make it happen. It might take a couple of years, but I think we can do that. We'll be sure. Your I'm 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 happy for us all to be on the team. Very happy. <laughs> it's okay. I'll be the I'll I'll be the treasurer. I'm not good at math. I'm not good with money, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking about like I'm thinking about like when you run for office in high school. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> You're you're you'll be secretary, Lisa. That's your job. Oh yes, I will. See, there you, see, see. Can't yes, take you anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Can I freshen your coffee, Mister Wagner? See that? There you go. Actually, I said his name Wagner. wrong. It's Wagner. Oh, see, I can't, see. <laughs> this is how much I love him that like I can't even do a stupid fake accent and make fun of his name. I have to correct myself. Oh no, it's Wagner, guys. I can't. I can't. Like, <laughs> so anyway, let's get to the meat of this, everybody. So. We are here to talk about Kurt and sexuality. I mean, this is uh, what Anna does best. This, this is this. You know, I just read, you know, what she's known for, uh, which is, of course, this anthology: super sex, sexuality, fantasy, and the superhero. Arguably, there is no character. I mean, granted, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, quite literally. Um, there's no character more sexual than Nightcrawler. I would say in the X Men, but in a very unique way because he's not you know if you were to pick up the comic and look at him you wouldn't say oh this is a very sexual character you know offhand you would like you know or looking at like a a, a playing card of him or, or 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 trading card of him or looking at his depiction in any most of the cartoons you wouldn't say oh this is a character that has a lot of sensuality or sexuality um but then when you actually delve into the actual meat of the comics and and, and how he's been depicted that certainly is before we get into that topic, though, I do want to ask Anna a couple questions just about kind of how she found Kurt and, you know, her little journey to finding Kurt and, uh, and the X-Men and, um, you know, why he tickles her fancy. <laughs> well, Lisa, I love it. <laughs> I mean, I was, assuming, I was assuming we were going to be talking about Velvet Fur and Tails today, so that's appropriate. Oh, yes, queen. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Well, so just out of curiosity, you know, wh what first attracted you to him? What was the first thing you saw him in? Like, what was the first time you were like, who is this blue guy? I want to learn more. You know, it's funny because X-Men was kind of my last Marvel franchise. I got really into superhero comics in my early 20s when I was actually still in school doing a post doc thing and then a master's but I kind of read Avengers and Marvel Cosmic and sort of every other franchise prior to that and a bunch of DC franchises as well and then I was like you know I guess I'll get around to X-Men so I just started from the beginning um read the Lee Kirby original comics and then kind of lost interest in good those for, for the obvious reasons of they're not very good and yeah. then jumped ahead to giant size number one and nightcrawler became my favorite character pretty quickly sort of as soon as he stopped being kind of that misanthropic character that he was in some of the very early issues and started being more of that kind of fun and empathetic character and the more of a swashbuckling character he quickly became my favorite 
And I've told the story a little bit on the Gosh Golly Wah pod, but for the benefit of your listeners, it was really a turning point for me when the character did become more sort of accessible to sort of a sexual gaze that very much like sort of humanized the character and made some of the feelings that I already had for the character very um, allowed and present. And I often go back to the Burt Reynolds callback in Uncanny X-Men number 168 as, or is it 168 or 169? I should know that off the top of my head. Um, I know what you're talking about and yeah. I don't know the exact issue either. I'm terrible <laughs> with issue numbers. I'm the absolute worst with issue numbers. But yeah, I know exactly. The, the yum panel, am I right? Yeah, the, yeah, Ama- yeah. the yum panel. So the one where Amanda comes in and he's posed on the couch um, doing a callback to Burt Reynolds' 1972 Cosmos Centerfold, the first male centerfold in Cosmo, which... I know a little bit about this historically. It appeared at the behest of legendary Cosmo editor, Helen Gurley Brown, who wanted to feature it to prove that women had the same visual appetites as men. So having Kurt appear in this pose is very significant in terms of the ways that the character, I would argue, has often been framed um, in ways that appeal to to a female gaze, not exclusively a female gaze, but it's just those are often the surrogates, well, almost always the surrogates we have in the story, other than that famous Isan Ribbit cover of Wolverine number six. But anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> the, the uncanny scene, and I'm putting aside the Amanda Foster sister things. I don't want to talk about it. We yeah, all hate it, and it's weird, and let's just ignore it. We're not getting um, into it right now, now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so I mean, that scene's really important. You have sort of a woman coming in, and you have her gaze very much foregrounded in the layout of the page. She is looking at Kurt, and we're invited to look at him, too. And I mean, it's funny. Like, I mean... Kurtz uses humor as sort of part of his character. So the scene is inevitably funny. And because it's sort of a parody of the Reynolds scene, it's funny. And yet his sexuality, I think, is treated quite seriously. Because in the next issue, you get him naked in the hot tub with Amanda and then teleporting around the city naked. And I think we are invited to think he's attractive in those images, even though we're encouraged to bring some humor to the scene as well. And the other important part of the Burt Reynolds pose that we do need to highlight is the presence of the BAMP doll in that scene. Oh, yes. So Kurt has this doll of himself known as a BAMP doll, which he presumably made himself. It's never been quite clear. And it's passed between various characters over the years, but it was originally given to Amanda. So in the Uncanny One, I think it's 169. Anyway, in the scene, of course, the BAMP doll is covering his genitals. And so it's an interesting commentary on Kurt as an object, He's sort of inviting Amanda to play with him. He's abandoning, inviting Amanda to consume him through sort of the metaphor of champagne, which he's holding with his prehensile tail, but also the invitation to, you know, play with him in the sense that he's comparing himself to a toy of himself. And that's really, really interesting, sort of the number of levels that that hits on in terms of making that character accessible to the gaze. And so that scene just fascinates me. And then, you know, you see Kurt becoming sort of an even sexier character in the pages of Excalibur, originally written by Claremont and then later by Davis. You, you know, it's so funny because um, I never made the connection between the the Burt Reynolds picture and this panel. Um, but it's so clear. Even Burt Reynolds, like, didn't he have like a puppy like kind of covering his area or his he, is he, like he, on his is on a bearskin rug and then he's just got the hand over his crotch oh is that it it's okay I'm, i don't know where the puppy came from maybe it's because of the bearskin rug i'm just assume i'm assuming I, furry things i, I got furry things how, in the brain so i love how you broke down that because i've never read into the panel in that way and like the toy thing i would have never made that connection but 
that's just utterly hilarious to me because and and in a good way though like it's 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 not like it's wrong it's it's so well done on on uh claremont's part and that you know he gives he gives all these layers to sexuality and everything he's written particularly with the x-men because he wrote them so long and, and sexuality seems to be so important to claremont and like and, and the fact that he can write something like oh Kirk has no problem being used as a toy because he's being played with and he enjoys that. And it's not bad. And like, it's just, it's, it's a thing. Like the fact that he writes that as such a normal part of a character that is also seen as so loving and innocent in some ways. Cause Kurt is a character that he's seen as both an object, but yet innocent and finding the balance between those ideals and how they can both exist at the same time. It's incredibly hard to do. Yeah, I love that comment on the character's innocence, because that's a really interesting take on it, too. And I think that that makes a lot of sense in terms of the accessibility of that character, because he approaches a scene like that sort of very honestly. I mean, it is almost innocent the way he's like, this is fine. And, you know, the <laughs> acceptance of multiple gazes just by doing that, like there's no guilt present, you know, like in a scene like that, you're just invited yeah. to. And I mean, the fact that he's a demonic character, too, really, really matters in terms of you know, if you go all the way back to sort of like medieval and Renaissance art, it's that kind of figure who's a succubus, right? Who's, you mm -hmm. know, a symbol of deviant desires, who's going to corrupt particularly young women, but also gentlemen as well. And so to have that be a character who were invited to consume and not feel guilty about consuming, that really speaks back to a lot of deeply sort of rooted historical bigotry related to sex. Yeah, absolutely. And, the, and it's funny that you talk about like the idea of the succubus and the incubus and everything in, in history and, and art history in general. And, you know, that those, those demons are demons of like, th those are not demons of consent. They don't, they take without consent, mm -hmm. but like, there's nothing about this panel that's non-consensual. You know what I mean? It, well, everything feels very consensual because even like when Amanda enters like her and granted, I hate that her reaction is yum. I think it is the cringiest <laughs> reaction. It's just, I mean, granted, it might be, a, it might be a product of the time because maybe that's just something that they said at the time. But for me, like yum. Ugh, Look, uh. People have different ways of expressing what they like and it's, it's fine. Just, <laughs> that's it's not like, the biggest problem with Amanda. It's being not, there, it's again. not, no, it's, de it's definitely not the biggest it. problem. It's definitely <laughs> the biggest problem. Yeah. It's just that this, this is a Lisa issue. It's not a, it's not an issue in general. It's a Lisa issue. I just don't We're like gonna, it. I'm like, going to make yum. a compilation one day of all the Lisa tangents that you go on. The Lisa <laughs> issue episode. Oh, girl, we could have an entire <laughs> other podcast called the Lisa issues. <laughs> but like, I love too with the whole um, comparing him because, you know, he's more demonic figure and stuff. It's funny because in this scenario, you could argue that based on the context of that panel that um, that Kurt is the one being corrupted because he's the object. Yeah, He's the one being looked upon, even though he is the demonic figure right and it's so interesting in that way because the roles have flipped and either way it's consensual right like you said lisa like she is enjoying looking upon him and sexualizing him in that way and he is enjoying it as well it's completely just understood that it's 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 okay and that doesn't make him any less of you know how he looks demonically and that doesn't make him any less innocent than he acts yeah, and I mean, you're bringing up a really good point, too, about sort of the gender play and the presence of that in a lot of the sort of sexy Kurt scenes that we've had over the years. I mean, you can think about Excalibur number one, too, which has Kurt in a sexy bath, you know, with the water just mm -hmm. high enough that we can't quite see his penis, but definitely wants us to know that he has Damn a penis, it. that there's something to hide. 
He likes those English bathtubs. He, can he does. He can out. stretch out. I need to see more. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, and Megan interrupts him in the bath there. And he's very much sort of put in the stereotypically feminine role there. And she actually compares him to Joan Collins as well in her dialogue. And, you know, you can think of other scenes from Excalibur, you know, in Excalibur uh, 15, we get Kurt in female drag flirting with Brian in Excalibur number seven and eight, the Inferno issues. Um, We get Kurt flirting with a gender ambiguous gargoyle. There's just so many little things like that throughout Excalibur. I love that. (laughs) In the classic Warlord issue two from Excalibur number 16, um, he's seduced by a female succubus and... yes become sort of a male consort and stuff, which isn't, that is a common sort of story that you see in John Carter from Mars, but still there are elements in which Kurt can be feminized in a story like that by being put in sort of the more stereotypically feminine role in good and bad ways. I think that's a complicated story because there's issues of consent involved. But for female gazy characters, they often have that element of gender play and even sort of an element of gender fluidity to their bodies as well. You see that, you know, time and time again, you know, in female gazy fan fiction, you know, the ways that they describe male characters as having sort of elements of femininity. And it's common in romance novels as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting, too, because I think it's sort of a way that those characters become accessible, but it's also a way that speaks to the dream of those characters having empathy for sort of female readers Mm. and fans too right so to me and i mean this is a very subjective thing but you said you wanted to go fanish so it's like kurt has elements of like connotative femininity again i'm not essentializing everything anything but in terms of connotative femininity so stereotypical femininity um in his body right i mean i've talked before on the gosh golly wall podcast about the symbolism of his tail it's both a phallic symbol but it can be a feminine symbol as well in the sense that it both thrusts and squeezes right it's a very interesting symbol and it's used I'm as i'm sure both this. of you know <laughs> as i'm sure both of you know is used in lots of different ways in fan fiction like to symbolize different things right and so that's yeah. interesting and then i'm very obsessed with the idea lisa is fanning herself with with <laughs> <laughs> Right she literally something. pulled out a whole ass fan. It's my golden it's an girl actual fan. fan. That's perfect. That is absolutely perfect. I got it at Comic Con. We need a Kurt one. We need Kurt fans. Do someone make a Kurt fan? I'll buy it. <laughs> and of course, the other thing, like I'm absolutely obsessed with, is the fact that he has this fur that feels like velvet. Right? You know, mm-hmm. revealed back in Excalibur 44 when Miss Amelia Weatherspoon asks if she can stroke his fur strokes his fur he says of course because he's Kurt um strokes his fur and is like my my blue velvet that broke my brain a little bit and I don't think I've ever really recovered but you know in terms of what a perfect metaphor that is for Kurt having sort of a soft masculinity right he's got a hard masculine body that is literally soft yeah and so these kind of things really interest me as sort of a scholar of gender and sexuality and superheroes for sure and as a fan because I'm interested in gender fluid characters more generally it's fascinating. Uh, you know, it's funny because so many of us are fans, but we don't pick up on these, you know, kind of subconscious or uh, kind of behind the scenes meanings. You know, we don't always know why we're attracted to these characters. We just know we really like them. And then when we hear you break it down, suddenly it's like, this makes so much sense now seeing, you know, why we are attracted and, and why we're so drawn to these. And, you know, I was just on Oh Gosh, Oh Gosh, Oh Gosh, with you guys. And, um, which that I think might come out after this, which is fine. Um, Probably come out a couple weeks after, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when we were, when we were talking on, um, you know, we mentioned this on Oh Gosh, Oh Wow about, you know, the majority in my experience of Kurt's fan base is more female presenting. 
um, that I tend to meet. Um, it tends to be more female presenting or very like LGBTQ. It, it seems to be, uh, that seems to be like the core of Kurt's fan base. And I find that to be very interesting. And I think that that has a lot to do with, you know, how he's been depicted over the years. He, you know, Kurt is kind of, um, you're a, the, like, he's your typical, like approachable guy. Uh, he doesn't, he looks demonic and he looks terrifying, but he's actually the nicest guy in the whole world that would do anything for you and anything for any friend and anything for anybody he cared about. And, you know, that's the amazing dichotomy, I think, that is in him uh, that I think attracts a lot of us. And when you talk about the the female gaze, um, you know, there aren't a lot of characters that take the female gaze into account. And I don't necessarily know that it was intentional in the beginning at all with Nightcrawler to do that i think that they kind of like floundered into it i don't really think I, it was intentional to make him as female gazy as he was I, I would like to hear what anna has to say about that but i don't, I don't know that that would yeah i mean it, it's it, it's interesting in general with the whole like it always interests me when i when we talk about any character and we talk about if a fan base is more one gender or the other, especially nowadays where we're all constantly breaking gender with trans oh, yeah. people becoming accepted and non-binary and all these different things. Right. Um, but it's incredibly interesting. You know, I, I think Kurt has a huge fan base and it's not just women and not just LGBT. And I don't think that's what you're saying at all, but I don't even think that's the majority of his fan base. I think that's the people that are the most passionate about him yeah. tend to be that. Like there's plenty that's of fair. them who love Nightcrawler and they'll oh, easily yeah. Yeah, I like him, and yeah, he's enjoyable. But yeah, the I, I I agree with the fact that it seems that you know more of these are groups of people are drawn to him, and it I don't know I like him a lot, especially with his sexuality and all that, because he is this mix of so many different things. He's so he's a huge mix of masculinity and femininity put together. But why does that seem to identify more with women or people that are gender nonconforming things like that than you know? the average cis man um but they still like him too it's it's really interesting to see why that's a thing this is my take on the character i've said this many times that i feel like his character is like he's very he's desperate for like he, he he's one of those characters like he wants to settle down he wants the two kids two and a half kids the picket fence <laughs> and like the you know, the American dream, the two and a half kids, the picket fence, the dog and the cat. That's what he wants, you know? And listen, with Wanda, he could have a half kid. Like, he really could. So, oh, Lord. You know, <laughs> she can do anything. She can make, like, she could do three quarters a kid. She, whatever. Whatever you want, she can make it happen. But what, I'm, I'm joking here. But, <laughs> you know, uh, but that's my read on the character. But, um, but yeah, though he does make a lot of silly decisions because I think he is impulsive. I've referred to him several times. Uh, is, he's impulsive in relationships. I've referred to him several times as the Michael Scott of the X-Men when it comes to relationships, because like, he's the guy who um, is ready to propose like three dates in, as we saw in X-Men Gold, which I mean, we don't have to talk about X-Men Gold at all, but like, <laughs> he wanted to propose to Rachel in X-Men Gold. I mean, the, Kurt, she's not, she's a lesbian, Kurt. You're right. She is. She is a stud ass lesbian. Which honestly, really through every woman that could have been an interesting story if someone had taken it in that direction, but of course they did not. Oh my god, I would have died to see him propose and her be like, like, we haven't had sex yet. Like, <laughs> like 
Like, I don't, like, have you, have you noticed every time you take your clothes off, I wince? Like, no. Oh my God. Well, I, I hate to bring it up, but it is relevant to our previous conversation, which is that canonically Rachel owned a BAMP doll as a child. She did. Oh, that, oh my God. Let's, oh God. Yeah, there's an expanded so like, caliber panel where, where, where like. Rachel is being given a BAMP doll as a baby. <laughs> That, so I, I I didn't I didn't want to go in this direction because I was like, ah, is this going to be weird? But now that you bring it up, because you <laughs> talked in the beginning about the Banff doll being like this kind of like sexual thing, like this object. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. But, it doesn't it doesn't have to be. I want to be clear about that. I oh, like think oh, yeah. that it can have that. And I actually did a Claremont thread thread sort of about Banff doll, sort of talking about that a little bit. But I mean, I think that there's a lot of different ways you can read that too in terms of like sexual safe spaces and stuff because it interestingly becomes a symbol of exchange between several like queer-coded younger female X-Men. And so like I think that that can take on a different connotation. It, it can still have like an element of, of sexuality there, but not necessarily I want to have sex with Kurt more that sort of the acceptance that he represents can be sort of a safe space that you can give to other people in exchange with other people so I think it's a very sort of diffuse mm-hmm. symbol yeah. and I don't want to like make it more creepy than it has to be oh yeah no of course because like I'm off the top of my head it's like the people who I know have Banff, have owned BAMF dolls are Amanda Rachel Ileana I don't think Kitty ever had one I think Ileana had Kitty, it right? Kitty I think I've traced this too that Kitty ended up with it and then okay. she oh. ended up giving it to Ileana when um, oh, Ileana gets engaged. And then it becomes Jubilee's after Ileana dies. And then Jubilee later oh, mails really? it back to Kitty. And then Kitty has it until the end of Excalibur. So all these characters, okay. they're queer coded. And some of them, like Jubilee, certain writers wanted to have come out as not straight. Mm-hmm. And then they were denied by, you know, editorial. And it definitely is a symbol of exchange between Kitty and Ileana. Oh, Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, and that's that's why I was thinking we mentioned Banff doll and and Lisa was like, oh no, and I was like, no, no, but that's a beautiful thing about Kurt's character and what that doll can represent in a huh, better light, right? Is yeah, it's the acceptance of sexuality. It's the introduction to hey, sexuality is very vast and it's very contextualized and it's not always just about gender, even though gender is a huge part of it and stuff, right? And that's one thing I just really love about Kurt's character in general is even under all the layers of humor and stuff that we put, right? That humor doesn't erase the seriousness and, and the real undertones behind all of this, you know? Absolutely. I, I do want to say, like, as far as the sexuality and gender, I mean, his daughter also had a Banff doll, but, like, I'm, like, crossing <laughs> my fingers. I'm, crossing I'm telling my... you, not Kurt's not straight. Kurt's not straight. Okay. <laughs> a total aside... I was just randomly on, I was randomly looking up stuff and I found this whole article about House of M, uh, with Nocturne's role in House of M that I'd totally forgotten. There's a whole moment where she possesses Rachel and I'm like, oh my God, Nocturne was inside Rachel. We can make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> we can make this happen. Like, okay, anyway, moving on. Well, can, right. we, can we get back to the because you asked me earlier about whether yes. I thought sort of like the female gaziness of the character is intentional yes, and I did I actually just want to say I just want to say really that I do think it's intentional and it's not consistent across writers and eras of course but I think it certainly is intentional in the Claremont era I mean I mm-hmm. think that that you know Burt Reynolds callback is very intentional but also things like you have an Excalibur often not often but like several memorable times sort of female gazes being acknowledged you know in one of the early issues they're going down into the, I think it's like issue two possibly anyway they're going down into the, into the subway and interestingly a number of male characters run away from Kurt and are like oh a demon and then you see a young girl saying oh a cutie 
Mm-hmm. Right. So he's clearly kind of aware of that. And then at the end of the girls go from hex storyline, you have sort of a bunch of teenage girls fawning over him and being, is that tail really prehensile? Oh, real fur, real fangs. Be still my heart. <laughs> and there is, yeah, a listener that possibly is a listener of your podcast, uh, Sue Wisterfield, who definitely expressed her fandom for Kurt around that time and yeah, knows that he was aware of it anyway, that he had that fan base. And That's good to know. yeah, so I think that it is acknowledged. And I mean, even in later comics, you see it acknowledged. And this isn't a particular favorite comic of mine, but the acknowledgement of sort of female fans is still uh, significant is the um, X Men Manifest Destiny one shot where the woman Mara Keller builds the Nightcrawler Museum in his honor. Oh, where she sniffs the Banff. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> So I, I, I'm not crazy about that one because sleeping with a fan is icky and the way it plays out is sort of icky. There's like this kiss and it doesn't really seem super consensual and I'm not a huge fan of it. But, you know, I like the acknowledgement that, of course, it would be a woman who builds this like museum yeah. to Nightcrawler and then invites him to Germany, maybe to honeypot him. I don't know. I don't want to judge. You know, I'm not saying if he was real, <laughs> I wouldn't do that. So in theory, that could have been a story I like the way it played out. I have mixed feelings, but still. I mean, well, and you know, I, I see that as the equivalent of us in our time, like, like tweeting at celebrities, hoping they'll notice. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's the same kind of thing. I, like she went extra building the whole museum. I will just say, like, the fact that she sniffed his bamf to me is like, <laughs> girl, we I know mean, that smells awful. I mean, I. I, I love I love the whole thing though because with all you're talking about like you know women like fawning over him and loving him it doesn't sound like it was done in a light though of like oh look at these stupid fangirls because that's the thing like being a fangirl is still like yeah. a very negative yeah. context yes, still nowadays much. it's getting better yeah but it's still like oh my god these crazy fucking fangirls but like these women fawned over him so much and Claremont wrote it in such a way that was like oh it's just it's just as great as when men really admire women too and and claremont in particular has always he seems to be one of those men who really is fascinated with how we think how women think and really admires what we do and think and he he does a better job than a lot of other uh male writers that think like him or similarly where he wants to basically praise women and put us on a pedestal and stuff, but he does it in a way more respectful way. And he doesn't go over the top too often, even after 17 plus years. Um, and it's so nice that, you know, uh, Kurt kind of gets to receive that. I don't know. The more I think about it, the more I'm kind of like, I feel like Claremont wishes he was Kurt. Like what if Kurt is like the man he wanted to be like that perfect balance of exactly what women want and admire. And I think, Cockrum and Davis wanted to be Kurt. I think Claremont wants to be Aurora Monroe. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> That's fair. That's I, fair. I think Claremont wanted to be. I. I. I wouldn't. I don't know if I 100% say Storm, but definitely one of the women. Like Claremont was mm-hmm. all about the women. But um, no, yeah, Cockrum 100%. He was Kurt. Like that was all. He was all about. Well, being it's so Kurt. interesting though because what Kurt became is completely different than what he originally intended him to be. A hundred percent, like one eighty degrees, because you know, like you mentioned when we first started this episode, Anna, like the whole reason we love him isn't because of his demon and cringy ways or even undertones he has. Even now, it's the fact that he's empathetic, the fact that he is fun loving and and fallible and and all these other things. You know, that's the biggest reason so many of us love him. I feel like. Anyways, my point was it just interests me that I don't know why Cockrum would want to. Like, it interests me that Cockrum, you know, Kurt was his baby through and through, but 
his baby became something he never intended it to be. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question about sort of the collaborative nature of authorship, right? Because, I mean, Cockrum's original version of the character is very different than the one that we ended up getting in Uncanny. And yet, when that character kind of starts to develop, you know, Cockrum brings a lot of his own personality sort of into the character and changes them into a different character. Because, I mean, when you think about when we talk about quote-unquote fun Nightcrawler, like the swashbuckling Nightcrawler, it's like we're always talking about the 85 Cockrum miniseries. Mm -hmm. And, like, even if people Mm -hmm. haven't read that miniseries, you know, every time the character gets rebooted to kind of be that version of the character is always a callback to that it's always like space pirate ships and like sword fighting with his tail and that's like the 85 like the john carter the john carter of it all Mm -hmm. i thought immediately of that when we were talking about cockrum's vision for the character i mean his vision for the character when he first envisioned it obviously is not what the character uh became when it was pitched to marvel period um but then i think that I think that the the 85 uh, miniseries, the Nightcrawler miniseries, I think that is what Cockrum wanted. Like, I, yeah. I think that was eventually like when he finally was like, this was, this was, this is exactly who the character I want to be. That was his like dream of who the character should be. And Which interestingly, notice- his, his dream of who the character should be is a character who would rather stay in a complete other dimension to have sex with the princess than go home with his friends. <laughs> right. And he wasn't he wasn't originally written as a like sexy, lovable character. And now that's exactly what he is. Mm-hmm. You know, contrary to um some people's belief, he is a very sexy, lovable character. <laughs> and Cochran wanted the opposite at uh, in, in the original Inception. Mm-hmm. I I just I love that mini. It's so fun. It's so silly. It's it's got its little stupid it's so moments. Good. I like I, I actually I, I I have it on my wall too. Like I one of my favorite oh, moments yeah, from I've it. I've got one up there too. Oh I <laughs> yeah! see it. Yes. One of my favorite moments in general from that whole uh that whole that whole mini isn't even a it's not even a it's not even a, a panel that has Kurt in it. It's and I put it on the website, the Simply Amazing Pod website I put together. Um, it's the panel of Ileana and Kurt where she's like, Kitty, he's out there giving someone a free show. <laughs> I just love that so much. It's so silly. It's like they accidentally teleported back his uniform, and then immediately after that, they teleport his uniform back to him and they go back <laughs> to him, and he's sitting there, like clearly dazed, like, what the hell just happened? My clothes blinked off and on me. <laughs> and the princess is like, How did you do that? And can you do it again? And it's like, oh my god, I love it. Every moment of this is amazing. There's one that always makes me laugh where it's the scene where Shagreen the shark like falls over the edge of the pirate ship and Kurt's looking over the edge and he's like, Oh, I should try to save him. It's probably too hard. And then he just immediately <laughs> turns around and it's like, Hi princess, I'm Kurt Wagner. I'm the greatest at everything. It's just such so, super dickery, but I mean I don't mind like some fun super dickery from Kirk. We're not, I'm Kurt, I'm not asking for him to be perfect. <laughs> Listen, if a guy's trying to kill you and he falls over the over off of a pirate ship, I don't judge somebody for being like, you know what, I'm gonna leave you there. Like it's fine. You well, know? And I- I, I don't judge him. He's a shark. He's a shark man. You want to save them when you have a pretty woman right there? Like, <laughs> I'm gonna pick the pretty woman. Exactly. Fuck. Exactly. Like, when it comes down to it, I feel like we just we just gotta find Kurt the right pretty woman that he, so he's not chasing after like lesbians and alien princesses who are going to murder him. So, or depending <laughs> on the shipper you are, man, because I also I don't think her is straight, yeah. but whatever. Okay, so that <laughs> is gonna bring me into my next question, Anna. Who is your OTP with Kurt? Oh, you know, 
I don't <laughs> like to I don't like to limit my options with him. I mean I've Neither written him, girl. I've ridden him with it's a lot of different buffet, people you're right. over the years. I have definitely ridden Kurt Logan slash um and I have ridden him with female characters as well. I've ridden him with Storm. I've ridden him with Kitty Pride. Don't yell at me. Not within the context of Excalibur when everything's underage. I promise. I promise. I watch X Men Evolution. You're okay. I know. I know. It's like a ship that a lot of people hate, and I apologize. But partly, it was sort of like to see if I could make it work. And then when people said that I did make it work, and were like, I couldn't believe you made that work. I was too encouraged and wrote more. <laughs> so, but anyway, yeah, I am super conscious of the fact that a lot of people hate that ship, and that is fair enough. I'm not fighting for it to happen in the comics or anything. Fan fiction is a space of possibility and not everything is for everybody. Um, True. But yeah, and I I don't, I ha- I'm interested in like the Kurt Wanda ship as well. I mean, I often try to think about what relationship, like what canon relationship he was the happiest in. And I think elements of like the Cerise relationship had potential. I wasn't, I have issues with it in terms of some of her sort of naivety and the ways that the character wasn't developed as much as I would have liked to see, but while they were together, they seemed happy. They have some scenes together that I enjoy, but yeah, I don't know. In terms of like, definitely not Amanda. I mean, yeah, I yeah. love some of their Great. scenes together, but let's just like, that can stay in the past. It's, it's complicated. <laughs> there, there's a lot of um, uh, awkward things going on there. I agree with you. I think Cerise was probably, as far as like a canon relationship, probably the best one he's had. I mean, because our other options are like Amanda, which is his sister. Again, I just, I have this. It's weird. Move on. It's if, fine. If, if, you call, if you call the same woman mom, I don't care about genetics. You can't date them. Like, it's just, it, it's just the way it is. I'm sorry. Um, so there's that. Um, and then there's Rachel, who's a lesbian. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, the, the only other one that I was like, I never understood why he just, just refused was Christine Palmer. Because she through her like she was begging him like, I think within the context of that series it was a weird time and place where the priest retcon had just happened and yeah, I true. think that there was some sort of indecision about where they were going to go with the character because that's a very very sexy series and it's it a is. very gay series as well and yet I think some of the uncertainty about sexuality in that series has to be sort of attributed to kind of that uncertainty of that period because it, it kind of, like that series happened just a year after the priest retcon you're absolutely right. That makes a lot of sense because because you're right. It is a very sexual. There's that whole scene where like Kurt is showering and Storm is just sitting right there with a towel, mm-hmm. and it's like, like the X Men don't have a door. I mean, listen, it's great for the gays. I'm just thinking like as a human being, like you guys don't have doors on your showers, and like you just sit around <laughs> like waiting as your I friend mean... showers. I, like it, to me, I just you know, it's it's it's. But it's that's a- also the thing. Everybody's different. There are people in real life that do that, and it's fucking sure. normal. And we're here, like, why would you do that? Absolutely, like- absolutely. It just again, it's a, it's very gazy, and it is very sexual. But yeah, Christine Palmer. There's a whole scene where she's basically like, he, he's like, I need a shower, and she's like, my apartment's right there, and they go to her apartment, and he's like, and she basically is like, you're naked in my apartment right now. Like, what's next? And he's like, I can't, girl, I can't. It's like. Oh. I know. Why? Why? Does your sister have her claws that deep, dude? I mean, like, and she's in it too. So, you know. My deep cut fanon reading of that series is that because Kurt hasn't really been with a quote unquote regular human woman before. Mm -hmm. 
And I mean, I can see him having some distrust and issues with that. He is a celebrity. He does have a very different body. And I can see there being sort of a suspicion there and sort of a hesitancy there because that actually hasn't been part of his experience. So that's my deep fan in cut of like why he'd be a little bit nervous about Christine because she's a bit fanish in that series too. She's like seen, you know, his VHF, you know, his uh, VHF, like what it was like behind the superhero special or something. So she knows these Spanish like celebrity culture things about him. Yeah, but at the same time like that page where he's in her apartment like after the shower and then that's a really for any listeners who haven't seen it before I do highly encourage you to read that series because it's very very gazy and very interesting and actually a series that I return to a lot despite having certain issues with it but that page where he's sort of foregrounded and he's on the comm link with Storm it's like you have Christine looking at him from one angle and then you have Storm's face implicitly looking at him for the whole side of the panel because she's in a different space but the way that it's framed they're both looking at him as he's like at the center of the display so that's again another series that's very conscious of the gaze and of course it's written by Roberto uh, Aguirre Sacasa openly gay creator of Riverdale who's well used to putting sort of queer gaziness into his texts so that's an interesting context for that as well absolutely I you know it's funny when you describe that I totally forgot about that specific moment where it's like he's literally being asked to choose between the two women mm-hmm. and but he's not just being asked to choose between two women he's asked between to being cho- he's yeah, he's being asked to choose between two obligations which is with Christine it's a sexual I wouldn't call it an obligation but it's more like with Christine it would be a sexual thing like if he decided mm-hmm. to stay with her they would be having sex with Storm mm-hmm. if he's going with her it's a job like he's going for his job and he chooses the job and it's like I mean Kurt have some fun, buddy. Like, <laughs> you work hard. Play hard. You know, you, you deserve it. I mean, that that's that's the whole thing with this character that's been going on for years. And it's worked for a while. But yeah, I'm with you now. It's like, now you need to let him have fun. He's always been the one that's being the good person by the end of it. Yes, he thinks with his dick sometimes. But at the end of the day, when it really matters, he makes the morally, ethically right decision. And now, yeah, he needs to be able to have some fun. But you also have to do that without him losing his morality right yes. and you can't just switch his character from oh he always does the right thing to fuck it i'm never gonna do the right thing anymore you have to find that balance and i think potentially that's where they could be going out i hope with this character because i think they need to go there is starting to find that balance between these two truths to him but we're 100%. still in the middle of it i i want to comment one before we get to the reader question or the listener questions reader questions listen to me i do want to comment one last thing about um, his choices for relationships and why I really liked Christine in the, in the time was it seemed like Marvel was trying to tell us that like a, a normal human just couldn't like him. It just felt yeah, like that. It felt yeah. like it felt like they were telling us like the only people who could truly love Kurt were either his sister or aliens who don't know what humans are. And so yeah. they have no context to understand what a human even is because that's what Cerise was like. She shows up and she's like, what does a human look like? And they, and everyone's like, oh, well, you, basically. You're the only one who looks human in this entire room. Mm-hmm. So um, that bothered me um, as an early fan of it, where it was like, well, I'm a normal human and I think he's hot. So like, I mean, why wouldn't other normal humans think he's hot? You know, like that doesn't make like. So I, I appreciated Christine so much because I thought like, this makes sense. He should have opportunities like this. But then when they did nothing with it, it was like, oh, that's wasted. I completely agree. And I know many fans feel similarly. I've had that yeah. conversation before. Yeah, well, it's time for Wanda to come in. And (laughs) I do have an agenda. I do have an agenda. And I apologize, but it is an agenda. All right, well, let's get into some questions. So 
uh, let's start with some serious questions first. So we'll do from um, uh, Do's Machines, aka Armin, is asking, what sex tropes do you think uh, are fitting for Kurt? Are fitting for Kurt? Um, well, I mean, we didn't even get into sort of all the different sort of fan fiction tropes that are sort of attached to his body, but that might be sort of a whole oh other conversation. Yeah, we I mean, I am part two. <laughs> very fascinated with the different ways that his tail gets eroticized. And there are certain conventions <laughs> about which parts of his tail are more sensitive than other parts of his tail. And different readers do different things with it, which I find interesting. Some people think the tip of his tail You're is the most sensitive. You're when we're talking about the tail, because we have a whole After Dark episode planned oh, just yes. about his tail. Yeah, okay, we good. Well, this is your opening salvo for it. It then and a lot of people focus on <laughs> the base of his tail as being particularly sensitive I've and seen that, yes. yeah that comes up a lot and it's certainly part of my fan in that his fur makes him particularly sensitive which I think makes yeah! sense because it would mm-hmm. so yeah like those are some of the things I mean it's always very interesting to me because I mean I read fan fiction as a fan, obviously, but, mm-hmm. you know, I study these things too, so I inevitably have to bring that gaze to it as well. And I do just get very fascinated seeing the different ways that people use his body and sort of the different ways that they eroticize his body and the different places that they pick to be erogenous zones. And I think there's a lot of opportunities with his body because he's a completely fantasy category of difference. And because Mm -hmm. so many of these things are left up to the reader's imagination, you can do a lot of different things with it. And you can sort of make these different parts of his body meaningful to you in different ways. And I mean, I've talked a lot about female fans throughout this, but I mean, that's part of what makes his body accessible to lots of different types of gazes as well. Absolutely. No, I love that. That's totally (laughs) enough of the ad. Nothing. Perfect. Um, all right. So I don't know if I can, this is a tough name. Uh, Rana Rana Rochelle slash Chibi Toaster asked, comic books have a history of over-sexualizing women. What do you think about how men have been treated in comics compared to women? Well, that's a big question. And that's like something I've, of course, written a lot about. Um, the basic trope is that female bodies in superhero comics tend to get exaggerated in terms of fe- sexual features, especially TNA. Male superhero bodies are exaggerated as well, but they tend to be exaggerated in terms of muscles, which connotes their status rather than being erotic objects, their status as ego ideals for a presumed straight male fan. Mm -hmm. That is not to say the muscles aren't sexy. They are sexy. And obviously we sexualize male characters. It's a huge appeal of the genre for me in general is the fact that it is filled with beautiful men. And yet you can still argue that that's not intentionally prioritized the same way that sort of women's sexuality is prioritized in terms of those exaggerations of the body because if you look at sort of gay male pornography male bodies tend to be rendered quite different there than they tend to be rendered in most superhero comics right and i mean the same with anything sort of female gazy you know the ways that male bodies are depicted there is often different than the way that male bodies typically are depicted in in superhero comics right mainstream Mm -hmm. superhero comics i should be clear but at the same time, those opportunities for eroticism are clearly present. It's a genre about beautiful men getting tangled up with other beautiful men and they're all wearing spandex, right? Mm-hmm. The thing that interests me about Nightcrawler is the ways that, because I feel uncomfortable with objectification from an ethics standpoint in terms of reducing people to objects. I don't want to do that except for in those consensual situations when everybody's agreed and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But with Kurt, because he has this fantasy difference, because he's a demonic monstrous character that always interferes with a straightforward objectification, 
you know, when I'm objectifying Kurt's body, his body is an extension of his character. The way that he thinks about his body, the way that he uses his body is a reflection of his acceptance. It's a, re it's a reflection of his body positivity. It's a reflection of who he is as a character. So to me, when I'm sort of objectifying him, that's always character based in a way. And that's sort of one of the ways that I find him very accessible as a character as well, because there's sort of an erotics of consent that's almost built into that character. And that's getting a little bit academic with it, but <laughs> I could go on. No, on I love that though. That. I love it. I'm going to have to talk to you more about that because I, I in particular in general am fascinated with just consent in general with, with, with stuff like that and hearing eroticized consent, like that fascinates the hell out of me. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I love it too. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and throw a plug out there for everybody. Uh, if you want more information on uh, superhero sexuality, fantasy, and superhero, you should definitely pick up Anna's book. It is available on Amazon. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, <laughs> Super Sex, Sexuality, Fantasy, and the Superhero. Check out Amazon. Uh, they got the book on there. And you know what? Actually, guys, I'm feeling, I'm feeling nice. And uh, let's do a giveaway. Check out our Twitter. We'll announce the giveaway there. I'm going to give away to one lucky winner, uh, the Super Sex, Sexuality, Fantasy, and the Superhero uh, by Anna. Um, one of you guys is going to win it. It looks amazing. And uh, why not? Yeah. So someone's going to win big. So yeah. Um, well, let's just keep going. We got two more questions. The next two are kind of fun questions. So let's see if uh, Anna has any, has uh, some, something she can, some info she can give us on it. Um, I think we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll leave that one for last. So Comic Goth asks, is he queer or European or is he queer and European? <laughs> I, I won't answer that specifically, but I will say that, I mean, I talked earlier about the gender fluidity of his body. You know, there can be an inherent queerness to mutants in the sense that the mutant metaphor resonates so strongly with queerness, you know, mm -hmm. themes of hiding and showing and presence and absence and all of these things. And of course, the persecution that they face based on who they are, right? Who you're born as, right? Mm -hmm. Um so I think that there's an inherent queerness to Kurt's body in particular in terms of some of these diverse sexual possibilities that we talked about. I think that's what I'll say about it. I don't I don't want to I don't want to get spicy and weighing in on the specifics of that question. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> to uh, about the uh the queerness of the mutant metaphor in general. I think it's interesting you bring that up because I I I'm going to challenge our listeners like find me a single X-Man that has not been slash ficked. That's not like Glob yeah. Herman. You know what I mean? Like all the X-Men are queer. Like find me a single X-Men that has not been slash fixed because e like every single one, because I think you're right. It's that metaphor is there regardless of who the character is. It's it, it exists. That, that queer metaphor of, uh, you know, of, of being a mutant is, is there. Um, we'll, 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 we'll end on this final question. Um, Inc. And I'm going to read exactly the way that they put, posted it. They said, I think an important question to ask is, is Kurt a fuck boy? <laughs> Well, I'm almost interested to put that back to you, Lisa, because you're the one who wants him to be in this committed relationship and everything. See, I don't think he's a fuckboy. No, yeah. I think, see, I think Kurt ends up in fuckboy situations because he desperately wants a relationship. And so he just, you know, he just ends up in these fuckboy, it's like fuckboy situations. But well, he, you, you know, you have to define fuckboy. I think everybody has a different definition. That's true, so too. is a fuckboy the one that just sleeps around all the time and doesn't care about the, uh, presumably, you know, in this, you know, heteronormative society, the 
woman's feelings? Um, is it the person that ends up getting seduced by women all the time? Is it this? If it's the one that's seduced by women all the time, Kurt's a fuckboy. But if you're talking about a fuckboy and that he just fucks around all the time and doesn't care. No, Kurt cares more than anybody. That's why he's a simp. He's an emotional simp for these women, particularly. But you could also argue for men, you know, especially people that ship him and Logan together. He's a simp. He is so emotionally attached to all these people so quickly. So that is true. I don't think he can be a stereotypical fuckboy because that tends to be negative and imply that the person that's the fuckboy doesn't care about people or the people he sleeps with. He cares more than the people that sleep with him usually. <laughs> yeah, I was that gonna say true. he's a bit he's a bit too romantic to me to sort of fit comfortably within that label, although I think he has elements of that. I mean, the mm-hmm. scene that I think about is the final issue from Claremont's Nightcrawler solo from oh, when was that? 2014? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a scene, so after he has the uh weekend at the private hideaway with bloody bess who is apparently betsy braddock which i that's a whole ship that we didn't talk about but anyway um, that's what that's what claremont wanted to do so anyway um and then kurt has the picture of him and bess you know where he's got his tail wrapped down her leg and she's kind of reaching into his shirt and then betsy braddock asks him well what about amanda and amanda's sort of dead but sort of lost in another dimension and kurt says different bond no less real and that's a really interesting line for me because that's doing a lot of heavy lifting, that line. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, you could go in sort of a polyamory direction with it. I think that that would be pushing it. I think for me, it's more that Kurt thinks relationships are meaningful. Some relationships are sexual. Some relationships are romantic. Some relationships are romantic and sexual. But to him, they're all meaningful. It's still a bond to him. And he still finds meaning in those relationships, regardless of how they work out or regardless of the eventual substance of those relationships. So I don't know whether that, I think that makes him too romantic to be a fuck boy, but just my two cents on it. I'm, I'm, he can be whatever anybody wants him to be to, to cater to their personal. <laughs> We're not trying to start wars, but also he's a romantic sap and we love him. <laughs> he's not a fuck boy. He's a fuck man. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. I feel like I'm in like, Early 2000s feminism course talking about like Buffy at the time. Oh but like, be a man, not a boy. Kurt Wagner I, defies stereotypes. He is Kurt Wagner. His gender is Kurt. Kurt. His sexuality is Kurt. I love it. I love it. I, how, I don't even think there's a better way to end this. That's perfect. Anna, thank you so much for coming by. That was, This has been amazing. You guys, this is this has been an absolute pleasure. Our very first guest, the absolutely phenomenal, fantastic Dr. Anna Pappard, here to share her curtain sexuality. And will you come back for other episodes? <laughs> I'm always happy to talk to talk Kurt. I it's not just sexy Kurt that I'm interested in too. I've did, I did a Claremont run thread this week about sort of the symbolism of teleporting. There are many things I love about Kurt. Oh, trust. We, we're going to cover it all. So we'll get you back. But it's it's been awesome. Um, thank you guys all for joining us for this uh, week. You guys missed that. I just accidentally smacked my microphone as I, we're, we're just, we're, we're professionals here, everybody. We're professionals. Um, thank you all for coming to our, our podcast this week. It has been a simply amazing week to have you here. Anna, please tell everybody, what are you up to? What are you doing? Where can we find you? Um, yeah, you can find me writing semi-regularly for Comics XF. You can find me on Twitter at the very boring name, um, Papard underscore Anna. You can find me on the Gosh Golly Wow podcast every week. You can just find us on Twitter at Gosh Golly Wow, or our website is goshgollywow.com. 
And I'll recommend a particular piece of writing, which is relevant to this episode, which is a piece for the middle spaces. It's open access. It's pop academic, very accessible, um, called Blue Becomings Revisiting Excalibur Number 4. And it's sort of about the sexuality of Kurt's body and my desire to have and be him through Megan's transformations into him. And your listeners might enjoy it. I love the sound of that. Speaking of Megan, I mean, Kurt's been with Megan and Betsy. Like, poor Brian. Is there a woman in his life Kurt has? I mean, he's been with Saturnine, too, because Angelie was Saturnine. <laughs> poor Brian. I mean, this guy can't be with a single woman that Kurt's not, like, on top of. Not that Betsy is a woman he's with, but, you know. Now with the current, you know, after Wave X, you know, the the whole pregnancy and everybody's um, conspiracy theories about that. <laughs> oh, well, that, that, that's a topic for another day. <laughs> yeah anyway thank you guys again for joining us my name again is lisa you can find me at the og nocturne that's n-a-c-h-t-u-r-n-e on twitter you can also find us our our website is simply amazingpod.com all of our links are there you can find us at on twitter at simply amazing pod it's s-i-m-p-l-y-a-m-z-i-n-g pod uh lauren where can they find you uh, just come stalk me on Twitter at friendly MBHD by come bother me. You can find other places to bother me there. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Yeah. Take a look out uh, for our Twitter for this contest we're going to be running. It's going to be very exciting and fun. Someone's going to be getting the super sex sexuality fantasy and the super fantasy and the superhero, uh, by Anna Papard. Uh, and there will be a test. So, uh, study up. <laughs> no, of course not. Uh, and for those of you at home listening right now, sniffing eggs that have gone a little bad because you want to get a little closer to Kurt and smell that bamf, just remember that you are simply amazing. Mm-hmm.